I'm pretty much on the, I'm on the precipice, mate. I'm, I'm, doesn't matter. He's on the verge. I'm on the verge. I'm on the edge. <laughs> Alright mate, I'm pretty much ready to go. But you're not. Yeah. Okay. Are we live then? Uh, oh man. Can't can't really start without without being live, you know. For the first time. But yeah, first first fifteen minutes. Cool. Action. <laughs> yeah. Good. Like he said, action. Welcome to episode two of the Public House Podcast. I'm Eddie Mitchell, so we're on episode two, yeah? yeah. There we go. Yeah. That's it. And we're live in the Electricity Showroom, so we're in for another sweet doozy. And my guest today is described on his website as an Irish designer who originates from a mixed background of growing up in Africa, singing in a band, metalwork, shipbuilding, fashion, and working in New York. New York sorry. Does this sum up my guest, Paul Daly? Hey, Eddie, yeah, I think that's that's all true. Most yeah? Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have I said Daly right? Yes, Daly. Is it, because yeah. I was thinking it was, there was going to be like a slightly nuanced accent in it because of your either African or Irish heritage. Yeah, well, no, I think sometimes, yeah, English people sometimes say Dali. Dali? And I was going to call my, my daughter Salvador Dali. Ah. But I thought maybe, I thought that maybe that wouldn't go down so well. How old's your daughter? I don't have one yet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh there we go. So I was thinking, what did you replace that name with, like Van Gogh? No, it's still an idea. It's still an idea. It's still an idea. Is it on the horizon? I think so, yeah, maybe. Yeah, you think yeah, so? Maybe, oh, that's yeah, a shout yeah. out to somebody who might yeah. be listening. <laughs> shout out to Sally. Yeah, bloody hell. Who's, who's Sally? <laughs> no, no. That's the, that would be the, what they'll abbreviate Salvador to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So when she's listening to this in the, in the future. future. Right, right, right. This is a podcast as well as a time capsule. It looks like it, yeah. It seems like it. So, Paul Daly, I mean, we need to shoehorn in everybody to sort of who you are and what you do. Everybody in the audience may know who you are, but we've got to assume that everybody listening of course. has no clue. So, for a start, can you tell us what you do for a living at present? And, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm based in Hoxton Square, and I've been there for 30 years. Yeah. Or here, because we're here now. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I do, I'm a designer. I'm a, well, I studied fine art, so I'm an artist and a designer, but I'm also, I also run bars and restaurants. Did you study fine art? Yeah. Yeah, you studied fine art. I did, art. yeah. How long ago were we talking? Um, I was in the same year as... Damien Hurst and Gary Hume, Sarah Lucas, people like that. Okay, is there a number on that year? Yes, <laughs> we came. We came out of Goldsmiths in '87. And what you worked with Damien Hurst? Yeah, yeah. How no, in college, and I mean, I was in, in college with him. Sure. Yeah. So you collaborated? No, no, we didn't collaborate. Just like he was in college, and we were all just wandering around this amazing building in Camberwell because Goldsmiths, the fine art section, was in Camberwell then. Yeah. In one particular building, just for fine art, and it was particularly amazing because because it just had this little vibe about it. That was just all about art. Okay, and there was a buzz going on. Really? Was that because it was it responding to sort of like the culture and the the times? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Because How so? I, yeah, because well, I got into because I came over from Ireland to go to college here in England, but I got into uh, Chelsea and St Martin's and Goldsmiths, but I deliberately went there because it was more kind of the the ethos there was a little bit more working class. It was okay. Le- it was less kind of just rich people in it, so it was more like sort of people of all types, all types of English people. Yeah. So I was really attracted to that, you know. So you were attracted to all types of English people. You're the like, <laughs> Irish guy. I was. Yeah. Because very good point. You know, in those days, you know, now London is much more. You know, there's people from everywhere now. But ironically, in the eighties, there was just a lot more English people in London. Right. And he didn't. He didn't have the same influx of everybody as you do now, as you've had for, let's say, the last 15 years, 
you know and because I've been in my own I've had my own bars for 15 years and initially there was a lot more English staff for example so you could see how over time it's got more and more uh, European did you feel like there was any weight that came with that you sort of did you ever feel like I am the only Irish person here and was there an issue well that's I think Eddie you are getting in the dirt this is good because yes I did because uh, although I loved it well my mum's from Manchester so I'm half Mancunian so I kind of I mean I had a whole vibe I didn't it wasn't like I was here and didn't know what it was like to be English or something but uh, I did feel like the only Irish I still did feel like the like only gay be, in the village yeah yeah what is it like to be English then when, from your perspective you just said that no I'm saying because I, I knew my mum's English so I knew what I suppose it was like she was English in Ireland so oh okay so I had the sense of what it felt like she was already some she, you know she was English in Ireland in the 60s Okay, so you've gone from design and art uh, at university, and then where did you sort of hop off after that? Uh, well, when I left Goldsmiths, I went to live in New York City. Okay. And then I started making furniture. How did you end up in New York well, making I, cause furniture? Because when I went 84, I went to New York, and I was just going wild, in New- and it was incredible. And so yeah. then I said to myself, I'm going to come here and start making stuff. Yeah. So I did. So after I went, left Goldsmiths, I went back to Dublin for the summer, okay. then I went to New York. How did you manage to sort of fund that to get to New York? Well, no, okay. That was the only time in my whole life that my dad gave me a grand. Nice. So I went to New York with a grand. Yeah. And uh, And you come from a working class background, right? Well, so I mean, yeah, no, it's, I lived in a salubrious part of Dublin, but no one ever gave me any money. Okay. Except that grand. Okay. And then, no, and you know, he helped me out when I was in, in college and stuff, like little, little bits. Yeah. But, um, but I went to New York and I was part of the Irish Murphy, as we used to call ourselves. So we were all illegal Irish people. Okay. Living in the Lower East Side and Brooklyn, okay, in 1987. What was that like being in? That sounds like a hotbed of culture. Incredible, because everyone looks after each other. So that when you're that far away from home, and that's funny enough, because there was a place called Sophie's on Fifth Street. So that's where all actually in the evening, all the Irish and the English illegals would hang out. Right. In Sophie's, and uh, so funny enough, English and Irish people were thrown together more there because everyone was in so far away from home. Yeah. That it kind of didn't make any difference anymore if you were Irish or English. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. Because you're in New York City. Yeah, yeah. And that was pretty amazing. And yeah, so the Irish were a lot of yeah. So everyone would help each other out. So tomorrow, my vibe was I needed to make eighty dollars a day. Yeah. No matter what I was doing, so I wanted to be making furniture. I wanted to be because I'm a master well. I wanted to be a weld welding. Okay, you're about to say you're a master. I'm a master welder. welder yeah. Yeah. How, so, did, how does one become a master welder? Well, just well, you just will you study? Okay. So I, before I went to art school, I was an apprentice uh, fitter turner. Okay. And which was which is where you learn, learn to weld. Okay. And I had a particular aptitude to, to welding, so then I so then I did that all through Goldsmiths, and then in New York I was kind of making things, you know, in metal. But okay. I, I, but if I couldn't get a job the next day, I'd go and paint houses or, you know, I'd do anything like. I what was, was it like trying to sort of just get as much work as possible in New York at that at that time? And that's another great question. Yeah, it was hard because there was a recession. Because I knew nothing about, I was just a, 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 an artist in exile, as it were. Yeah. But I knew nothing about like what was happening. But in, in retrospect now, that was a massive recession. Yeah. So basically, those jobs were hard and everything. So they got worse. They dried up. They dried up in 88. And that's when I came back to London. Oh, okay. So Because it was kind of hard. Yeah, it was hard to get work. It was, it, work was harder. And thank God that happened, because then I squatted Hoxton Square. Yeah, I was literally literally just about to um, yeah. lead on for that because you are sort of at present, uh, you live just around the corner from yeah. here. Um, and how have you gone from, I just need to get a little bit of background, from Ireland to Africa or Africa to Ireland? No, yeah, my we dad need- was, the, so my dad was uh, in the airline industry. 
an amazing pioneer in Aer Lingus in Ireland, and they came up with an idea of leasing airplanes because back in the day, the airline business was was supposedly very glamorous, and basically in the airline business, you know, all countries had a national airline, but none of them made any money. Right. But it wasn't about money, and obviously fiscal matters were becoming more and more relevant. So my dad was brought in to make airlines make money, make Aer Lingus make money. So one of the ideas was to lease airplanes and personnel to all the countries that England had ruined in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like for example, Jesus we went, we, yeah, yeah. So we went to Zambia and Ghana and places like that. And then he was the managing director of the airline, and he teach the Africans, you know, people how to, how to run airlines. Yeah. And because we were Irish, they loved us. Oh really? What 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 was it about being Irish that you think? Uh, well, because we, we well we hadn't been an imperialist nation. Ah right, okay. Yeah. But were you? Did you ever feel like that you were still attributed or connected to, like the UK? Sort of people sort of viewed you as sort of maybe a person that was British. Uh, and still just as bad. Well, a, a good question. I, I was only like eleven. Oh okay. I'm sure, so it's no, early no, days. I think they thought yeah. I was. I think they thought I was Irish. Yeah, you're not going to get so yeah, much sort yeah. of political backlash. Nah, there, no, there, there was loads of no, there was loads of English people. There. I mean, I'm just I was just being a bit facetious. No, essentially, no. We were brought in for that reason, but there was still loads of English people there. And how long were you in Africa for? Um, uh, eight years. Eight years. But I, I was still going to boarding school in Ireland. You know. So what happens is, you get to a certain point in Ireland, you have the leaving cert, sorry, the intercert, which is equivalent to O levels here in England. Okay. So I was at that age where my parents thought, oh, maybe he should go to boarding school. Right. At age, age, you know, around that time. Yeah. So that was a bit of a rough for me because I was a real mummy's boy. You know, my mum's my mum's was an artist. She's dead now, but. My mum was an artist, so even though I was a tough, like I was kind of tough, and yeah. I was actually like a, a total mummy's boy. And so going to boarding school was really difficult, you know. But what, I, was, what was so tough about boarding school? Well, because suddenly you're not part of a family. You're not, you're not sort of, you're not one of four kids we have, because I come from a, four kids. So suddenly you're on your own. Yeah. So you have that real sense of aloneness that would come at like 18. Yeah. You have it at 11. Yes, and when you went to boarding school, I mean, did you find it easy to integrate yourself and assimilate with everybody else? I think so, but I was a scrapper. Like I got, I got expelled from all of them, and I went. All to of two. them? How well, many? I went to two. You went to two. So you got expelled from both of them. I did. Tell me about the scrap. And well, the I, first one. Well, the first one was okay. Boarding school in Ireland. Okay, these are priests. So you have Franciscan priests in Ireland, and in those days you could hit people. You know, you could hit kids. So they would hit kids. And I knock, I, Sorry. I hit, I knock one out. Uh, you know, a priest. Really? Yeah. How old was this priest? Uh, he must have been forty. Really? How old are you? I was twelve. 13. That's a smack yeah. for a twelve. Well, I knocked him down. I wouldn't say out. Okay. How did you manage to do that? Was it an uppercut? It was, no, it was, a, it was actually. It, it was a yeah. No, it was a. It was. I've got a good right hook. Yeah. Yeah. And he just went sinking on his. No, ass. he fell. He fell. He didn't. He did, yeah. I knock. I, I always say I knock him out because it sounds great. Was he? Uh, was he shook or did he? You know, did he? Oh, like, yeah, well, I was. I was like, yeah. He was completely. Like, they, no one does that. No, no. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I bet not. Did yeah. he get up and beat the? No, shit he just out got of up you? and was like. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then obviously, to I the, bet his then pride I, was, I was gone. I was gone. I was. I was doomed. Were there many people watching? There was, because then they knew that uh, if they that particular class that was Spanish, if they knew that if they got rid of me, then everything would go back to normal. Oh, right. So then so, you moved on to the, your next boarding The next school. boarding school. Okay, and, and what's that, the situation that, there? That, that had girls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a victory. Yeah, that had girls in it. That was called Sutton Park School. That was in Hoth. So the first one was Gormanston, which is in County Meath in yeah. Ireland. And that was in, so Sutton Park School was in Hoth and that had girls. And there was like Swiss girls, Swedish girls, oh. this sort of thing. 
So then it was much better. Amazing, yeah. No, but immediately unfortunately, I got thought out of there as well. How did you manage that? Well, that was more drug orientated. Okay. You want to go into that? Uh, yeah, I was kind of like selling drugs. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Kind of, just no, no, definitely. No, no, obviously a bar owner. I mean, I don't do that anymore. But <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, the thing yeah, is that... Yeah, like, yeah, the, and, yeah, yeah. No, it was only, it was only grass and stuff. Yeah. Okay. But, what, it, but it, was a, it was a thing because, you know, a lot of people were stoned in the 70s. Yeah, how much were you selling grass for back then? <laughs> compared like, to the prices now, the weights you get now. Probably fuck all. No, it, was, <laughs> I, I, it, was, it wasn't like, it was none of that kind of, because I, I, you know, all those kind of mixtures that, you know, I can't smoke dope anymore, but when you're young, you can smoke copious amounts. And uh, I would imagine, I think all that skunk and stuff would have knocked us all out. Yeah. Because it was just pretty simple, you know, dope like grass yeah. like. it wasn't like bread like we have Ooh, now and spread that, is goodness. that is just unbelievable it is fantastic what we it's have it's a whole now. different thing i mean so that was actually innocent that's like drinking a shandy well yeah but back then there must have been like grass like this kids are wrong and complete wrong and so after this yeah. you've gone where so after this okay where are we now so now we're in yep so now i was taken off to ghana because then my parents my dad was now had had finished his contract in zambia Yep. And was moving to Ghana, which is Accra, Ghana, West Africa. So then I had to be taken there because obviously I'd be kicked out of all the schools. Right, right, right. And then I went to school there in Ghana. I went to Ghana International School, which was amazing. And then, so I had like motorcycles. Um, I, actually, another thing, my dad actually bought me a Kawasaki KH250, which is amazing. Thanks, okay. Dad. He's, yeah. de he's dead. Too. Can you do an imitation of the sound it would make? It was yeah. It was had a kind of a, it was a two strokes. It was a kind of a, quite actually. I know I can't, but it was. Kind of, I, can, I, <laughs> I, I can remember it. I can remember. It was very. It was, it was very rattly. Very rattly. One more time. One more time. <laughs> it, it was very rattly. That's it was good. good. It was great. So how was this? How was? I mean, any of this contributed to your sort of indulgence in Bohemia and the arts? I mean, how does it, all of that lead up? I mean, did you have specific interests during that time? Good Were you question, always, always not? No, I was always in like music. There was a soundtrack to all of this. Okay. There was like rock and roll going on to all of this. This okay. was like, there was a soundtrack. That was even like, in Zambia and yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. There was like, okay, so in, in, in Ghana, even if it was African music, like high life music. Yeah. So all the stuff that Peter Gabriel, Gabriel did a lot later, you know, I was into, you know, all that stuff, all that African music. So it was incredible. Okay. And then, of course, obviously they, they were obsessed with Bob Marley and stuff. But like, so there was, there was a reggae bass, there was a reggae bass line going yeah. on. In Africa. Did you have a band? Were you working? No, 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 not, not no? yet. That was back in Ireland. That but, was back but, in Ireland. Yeah. So after Africa, Ghana, Zambia, you've moved back to Ireland. Yeah. And you started a band. I, I was in a, I was in a pre-university center. I was in a pre-university course there. Okay. And just some guy came up to me once and he just said, look, man, you got to join our band. Yeah. Why? Well, it, I don't know. Because he said I looked like I should be in his band. <laughs> that's pretty sweet. That's yeah, not quite yeah. a band. That's what look. he said. Yeah, at the time. Okay, and, yeah, uh, yeah. And in Ireland, that's amazing. Because in Ireland, like you know, again in retrospect, I think it's the same here. If you listen to Radio X or anything like that, you've got to you've got to support. You've got to play X amount of your playlist has to be Irish. Right. So they they have a big appetite for Irish bands. Okay. Even in even in the eighties. So I was. So we were suddenly on the radio. So he said to me on a. Tuesday, do you want to be in our band? Like on the on Saturday, we're like on the radio, national really? radio. What radio station? Uh, RTE. RTE. It was called like it was like you know undiscovered bands like yeah yeah and that was Dave Fanning who is still massive yeah yeah Dave Fanning did he have was it just one so he produced, yeah we did a demo for Dave yeah for Dave Fanning like in you know 1981 okay and then did you get any more replays did you release an album and no yeah we got signed up for five albums yeah but I did, no but I was I, at that point I just said I was going to go to art school I knew. 
well, they were very nice chaps, but I, I knew that I, I couldn't be with those four guys forever. For five albums. For well, exactly. Yeah. How long? No. I mean, how long does five? Well, no, that, that came. No, that, they, no, the offers came to when I was leaving, but so, but they got dropped after two. Right. But um, in those days, you used to get big deals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why was it so? Why do you think it was so easy then to get? Yeah, you two. You two, because you two were so big. Yeah. That they were looking for you two were a massive signing for Ireland Records. So they came to our, there was just like A&R people everywhere. So if you look good, if you had a band that looked like we did, you got signed up. You know, it was like that vibe. You worked with them, didn't you? On, yeah. Um, what was it? Uh, well, I've got it written down here. On their Zoo TV tour. Yes. How did, how did that come to be? Well, I come from Malahide. So Adam, Adam Clayton and The Edge come from Malahide. So right. I've, I've known them, so their parents, my mum knew their mums because they were English. Was he always the edge back then, by the way? No, Dave. Such a hardcore name. David Evans. Yeah, no, he, yeah, he, he was the, yeah, he's, he was, he was from very young. Yeah? Yeah. Just for the edge since day Just one. Just the edge, from, no, from 16, 15, you know. Okay. And uh, so then I suppose, then I got asked to do that because I was breaking through as a designer and then someone said, oh yeah, Paul could do stuff, you know, for the, because what happened was, in the in the in the nineties, they decided to do more art stuff, so they they needed Irish artists, you know. Right, and they and I was based here. I was in Hox, I was based in Hoxton Square. And this was all after, obviously, going to New York. Oh yeah, this was like yeah. the nineties now. So so I left New York in eighty eight. Yep. Came to squatted Hoxton Square. Yeah. So I, I arrived back in London. Yeah. Then I met up with Gary Hume. Yep. Sarah Lucas, and we squatted Hoxton Square. So, yeah, let's just definitely talk about that. How did you meet Gary Lucas and the other? No, no, Gary Hume. Gary Hume. These sorry. are artists. They're like part. They're like really good artists, English artists. Okay. So then I met them in Goldsmiths. So I'd gone after Goldsmiths. I'd gone to New York. Yep. Then kind of ran out of work, and my best friend was one of my great friends was killed in Dublin. Right. So I got a bit depressed and everything. Came back to London because I had I really knew London by this point. You know that and London has a great sense of, you know, you can in those days you could survive in London. Without having work. Right. If you know what I mean, like you could have. No, I don't. My generation ah. has not a clue what that means. Well, I can't okay. step out the door without spending a time. I know that's now. Yeah, it's all changed. But like, you could live in London. You could. I don't. I don't mean. And I'm not even talking about signing on, which you could do, obviously, as well. But you could live in London by, you could squat places. Right. Like the '80s squat culture was incredible. Right. And I'm not talking just to like sort of, yeah, just I'm talking about really creative people squatting. Essentially, you got to remember, England was still post-war Britain. Post-war Britain only ended in my view, in the noughties. Okay. So, you know, post-war Britain meant rubble sites, yeah. meant broken buildings, yeah. abandoned, you know, that were still empty because of bombs. You right. Know, the, the Luftwaffe, you know, still. Because at Hoxton Square, the building where Siegfried is, used to be a church and it was bombed by the Germans. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's an interesting story. Yeah. Like, interesting story. Yeah. So, so when people say, what have the Germans ever done for you? Yeah. Which, but, no, that, sorry, it's, sorry, it's meant to be Romans, isn't it? No, what are the so anyway? Yeah, so basically, you know, yeah, obviously, and Shoreditch Park used to be all Shoreditch Park was a whole, you know, it was all built up. So yeah. that's all that was a bomb site that they left become a park. Okay, so how does then, then then how does a squatter move up the property ladder? Well, okay, so basically, I became a squatter, and we were in Hoxton Square, and there was this this area was completely derelict. You had to yeah. go to the gas station on on a, uh, Old Street to like get a pint of milk. Back then, and that's now gone. That's just gone two years ago. But that was the, that was the place you went to get some milk or whatever in those days. And so what happens is you, I approached the council and I said, look, we're artists, you know, like I mean, because Hackney Council, luckily for me, Hackney Council owned the building, so I didn't know that we just squatted it. And then I said, look, we're artists, you know, we're not, 
you know, we will we'll do whatever we can to stay here because we'll, you know, the buildings were all derelict and everything. And I said, look, I can weld stuff. I can fix the gutters and this sort of thing. So I did. They were like, oh, great. So we can I can fix up your building. Yeah. And at that time, the Irish gypsies, a lot of Irish our travelers were stealing all the lead off buildings to sell. And I was like, look, I'll, I'll, I'll weld up all the gates and stop them stealing the lead because because then what would happen is the water would just drip down the buildings and water can just destroy buildings. Right. You have to, water of course. Has to, yeah. So I, I was doing that to stay in, you know, to stay here. I was like doing that. I said, look, I'll do that because Hackney was nearly virtually bankrupt. Okay. So I'll do so that. So the authorities and local council were like, yeah. They were like, yeah. Go nuts. And then, no, and then luckily for me, a, a beautiful man called Daniel Yamoha, who's now dead, he said to me, and I, he, he's from Ghana. And I, he was like, and there's a certain handshake that Ghanaians do. So we, he did this handshake and I'm like, are you from Ghana? And he goes, yeah, I'm from Accra. And I'm like, man, I used to live in Accra. So he no goes, he, so he liked me and he goes, wow. Okay, he said, look, I like you. You know, you need this, you need, you need to get a lease. You need to get a lease. And I was like, what's a lease? And he goes, you know, you, <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. You yeah. know, he goes, you need a lease. And uh, so I said, oh, look, we need leases, man. You know, that's what we need. So he, he organized three year leases okay. for me and Gary Hume. Right. But the thing was, they were meant to contract the leases. This is quite technical, but they were co- meant to contract the leases outside the landlord and tenants act okay but i i think the judge and the, the the courthouse was down towards the city back then the judge forgot to stamp mine outside the landlord and tenants act right which means i became a city tenant oh what does that mean that means that i had legal rights over the property that's fantastic it's amazing does that explain how you bought the property for so cheap uh, it wasn't cheap. Yeah, I think yeah. Retrospectively, it's cheap. But you know what they say: expensive now, cheap later. Yeah, and it was around this time you met Zigfred. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me more about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, so that's a a massive encounter for you. Surely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's an alter ego. Oh, <laughs> is it? Well, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's somebody you, you we've all met. Ah, I, I, oh, is he? How? how, how? Yeah. Well, we've all. Is he omnipotent? Is he just? Yeah. You've all, I think. I think you've all. We've all met our Siegfried. Yeah. Yeah. And what, who is Siegfried? What does he do for people? Um. Great question. I think he maybe does stuff that we all wish we could do. Like, I mean, he has independent wealth, but yeah. he's but he does it, but he shuns it. Uh, yeah. So he doesn't want to do what he can go back to. He. Um, he, he just does what he wants to do. When was Siegfried born? 2003. Why 2003 so specifically? Is that because that's when I opened when, the bar. That's when you opened the bar, yeah. I was thinking Good Siegfried question. might have existed yeah. slightly no, beforehand. No, no, well actually, no, you know. I've been caught out on my yeah, research. Yeah, 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 I was yeah. thinking, who the fuck yeah, is Siegfried? Yeah, yeah. No, Siegfried is, yeah, Siegfried is a, we all have a Siegfried. But, you know. I like this imaginary friend a yeah, lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, me too. Like, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's good. He's been. He's been good. He's been great. Like, why? He, why adopt an alter ego? Um, I just wanted it to be, you know, to have that sense of like travel and a uh, and you know that sense of like that sense that you get in London and in New York. Obviously, that people just from everywhere, you know. Yeah. And you never know who's. You never. You never know anyone's past. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and like their past could be, yeah, their past could be. So Siegfried adds another layer to that. Yeah, he hides his past. He hides his past, and yeah. he could, so he could make up a completely normal past that yeah. he that he grew up in Ireland and he went to Africa when he was yeah. eleven, and he went to you know, and then he went, he studied fine art, or he he, he was a, an apprentice fitter turner, and then he was in a band, he was a singer, 
He could have made. He could make up that story. Yeah, well, you clearly have. Well, which ones? Which ones? That which ones? Siegfried. Well, exactly. Specifically. <laughs> but everyone has their own Siegfried, you know. I wish I had one though. Yeah. I don't know if I'm not. I don't know if I have. I don't <laughs> of course, have to, no, I mean, you do, what's, you do, you what's, do. What's, what's the guide on to getting one? Um, just free your mind and your ass will follow. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I read that quote somewhere yeah, online. I love that quote. That's a uh, that's um, Funkadelic. That's um, George Clinton. Yeah. Yeah. I love that quote. But it's, it's, no, it's that kind of vibe. No, I mean, I mean, the thing is, I'm not being facetious. I mean, it's just Siegfried von Underbelly is is alive. So what was, the, what was that sort of the idea of a bar born out of? Because obviously you've been a designer and you've done metalworks and shipbuilding. Yeah. Whatnot. Well, no, I work in a shipyard. Oh, you work in a yeah. shipyard. Okay. But I wanted to make it sound like a, a song by Tom Waits. <laughs> Working in the shipyard. <laughs> no, he has, a, he has a song called Shipbuilding. No, an album called Shipbuilding. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So then, how was how did a bar come about, and why Siegfried von Underbelly be the name for it? Well, that's a great that's a great question because when you know I was in there and I was like, okay, look, I've got to stay here, I, I've got to stay in Hoxton. I love you know I love Hoxton because then everyone said Hoxton, they didn't say Shoreditch, so that that happened later on, even though it was always called Shoreditch. But then people used to be, it used to be like because the whole vibe, the whole thing that we now see as Shoreditch happened in Hoxton Square. Okay. So, like, the, I'm talking about the new wave of Shoreditch, because obviously Shoreditch has a whole history be, yeah. be, before the new wave. But the new wave since 88, since we came, that all happened, that was all Hoxton Square, because there was a big fate here in 1993, a, a fate worse than death in the square. Right. Which is basically an art an art movement. It's a good pun. Yeah, it's a great pun. Yeah. And it was an art movement. It was a day full, it was just like, it was like the first time Hoxton Square was rammed. The first time... We had a massive event in Shoreditch, and uh, that was that was the start. Right. In, sorry, nineteen, yeah, nineteen ninety three. Okay. That was the start of the Shoreditch we now know. How does that compare to sort of like the sort of eighty Shoreditch? Well, the eighty Shoreditch there was nobody here. There was nobody here. No. It was why? Why do you think that Shoreditch sort of up and came in sort of its? I hate to say hipsterdom, but maybe sort of bohemia. Yeah. No. I mean, basically, what happened was artists. So we squat. We squatted number uh, eleven. And then in 1993, uh, David Nicholson came and took over number eight and nine. So we were from Goldsmiths. Yeah. They were all from the Royal College. And then they started doing up eight and nine. And then they took over a few more. So it was the Royal College and Goldsmiths, art, all artists. And then, then from there, people you were having parties. So people would come over and say, fuck, this area's amazing. Yeah. And then they'd go and get a building. Right, right, right. So that, you know, it just starts like that. And then it just cycled and cycled. Cycled and cycled, yeah. And you opened a second bar. I did. Yeah. In, nine, in 2008. Okay. Wow. Road trip, road trip, and the workshop. So why did you open the second bar? Well, that was more like just like the whole thing of like, look, I'm gonna now. I love the bar business, you know, because I opened the first one, just because I was like, what the fuck else will I do? Yeah. So I was like, let's do that, and then, but, but I wanted to fuse my whole history. Like, I mean, being an, I wanted to fuse. I want to do live music, support live music in England. Yeah. I wanted to have fashion, you know, because I studied fashion for a while in Ireland, for a year. So I wanted to fuse that and mix everything together, like and my misspent youth. Yeah. So it was like the bar is all that, you know, you know, especially in the days when it was wild, because now it's all about health and safety and organization. But in those days, it was just about parties, you know. Yeah. How, do you, how, do, how have you sort of because you've clearly experienced the transition from going from, you know, opening, going from a squatter yeah. to owning the lease yeah. to having a bar and then having a second bar yeah. between the first and the second bar. How do you feel like it changed culturally? Uh, for me, 
or for, uh, just, or the, just, or mean, the area for you or for the area um well for me by then i decided i loved it i i absolutely loved what i was doing yep. and then that that bar came up and i thought wow that's an amazing opportunity and would you believe it ended up that hackney council with a tenant with a landlord again which is great and then which i didn't know at the time and then also so by that point i was becoming like a professional okay by default you know how so well just because i never meant to be a bar owner in the first place right right, right. yeah so, so then i just became like you know uh, but then i became then i f found i loved it yeah then i became totally like you know into it and responsible within it and and i actually love you know all the legislation and all the stuff that makes you better yeah so, but then but maybe that's a sign of i don't know getting older what just complacency no 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 no. i'm never no. complacent no, no i mean organized no organized yeah yeah Okay. Organized. You don't have to be no complacency. No, I never. I, I. By the time that happened, I'd sell. Right. Complacency. No, no. no. You has can the never... market always been strong? Has it always been? Has has the buzz been the same throughout? No. no. It goes. It, it's changed. It's got, got more and more intense as the area has become more and more developed. It's very affluent around here now. Yeah. yeah I mean, Hoxton Square. It's mad. Like, I mean, Hoxton Square. So in the eighties, in eighty eight, the priests who live in you know the priests from number from Saint Monica's. They used to get attacked. Like they were like people be like attacking. You know, they'd be attacked on the way to the tube station. Right. And um, whereas now, look at it now. They're, they're you know they're, so they're much happier about the fact that it's so safer. Yeah. There was, a, there was a, like around the corner from Road Trip in the workshop. There was a lot of incidents happening. And who was attacking the priests? Well, it was just rough. I mean, you wouldn't park your car in Hoxton Square in the eighties. Okay. You would not. It was that bad. That bad. Was it? I mean, it sounds crazy because cause it sounds like some old guy talking about. It, but that's that's the reality. You could, you just wouldn't park your car there. And now look at it. It's, it's like four pounds an hour. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, it's like Mayfair prices. Do you think all like sort of every area in London is it could be a victim of this? You know, this gentrification. I mean, I know it makes things safer and yeah. and everything else, but it seems like Old Street Central is has been done. And now it's just expanding, and I live in Greater London, and yeah. all I see is lovely new buildings, lovely new bars, lovely new pubs, and less crime, less people getting beaten up. I mean, well, is that, is well, that that's part of being in London? Well, that's a good thing. I mean, obviously, violence is just a nightmare. Yeah. And London is, let's, it can be quite a violent city. Yeah, for sure. In comparison to others. But, but do you think this dumbing down of it sort of waters down but uh, is, the culture? Is it, does it, do you not think it's completely synonymous with... Uh, technology and communication and like yeah. and, and the fact that everyone can see everybody's history so you go back to if you go back to when I was when I find out found out I was a sitting tenant uh, legally and because I had a third level education luckily I knew how to go to a library to because I knew nothing about property I had no money so I knew how to go to a library and research property how to do research go teach myself about property to to, to know my rights okay and um, and that took me hours, days. I had to go to a library, remember all the books that I I was at page three hundred five yesterday. Yeah. Go back the next day, spend another ten hours reading all the books I had to I was reading yesterday, and do that for X days to learn how to do what I wanted to do. These days, you could Google that. In I could Google that in thirty seconds. And that's contributed to making things. That has contributed safer. to making things, uh, to making it easier for people, to make. The, the bars so to do something that used to be only the proviso of certain areas can now be done in Isleworth okay because people can learn how to do it quicker it used to have to be in the know before or part of the intelligentsia or whatever or be part of a group or something whereas now you can just google it learn it get the money do it
Does that affect the culture though? Does that affect the, the music scene and how people approach your bars? Do they just see it as a little trendy joint now as well, opposed that's a to brilliant as a question. staple of the okay, community? Well, this, that's, a, that's a great question. Because I think there's, there, ha, there's been a, there hasn't been a dumbing down of what happened. Your question was, is there a dumbing down of culture by things happening everywhere yeah. that used to only happen in hip areas? I think what's happened is people have forgotten to learn the history of things. Yeah. Therefore, everything is just looks the same to them when, it, when in fact everything isn't. Yeah, yeah. But you have to look into the history of it and go, it's like, oh, wow, did that happen? But yeah. because people don't do that, because everything's so immediate, they prefer to look at Beyonce yeah. or whatever. So it's like they, they're, not, they're forgetting to look into how things evolved and therefore they think everything's the same. But it's, it's so ironically, there's a there's a reverse psychological answer to the to the question. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because it looks like everything's becoming homogenized. Well, actually, some things are, but actually, some things have real depth, real culture, a real backstory. Do you still get that when you're Basel? Do people come and say, "I've read about this," yes. "I've heard about this place"? But not not all, but some do, and I I'm like, wow. Yeah. I love that. What's the most interesting sort of question you've been you've been posed with? Well, well, no, people say things like, well, people say. Where's Siegfried and all? Yeah, they say that those yeah, things, which Siegfried? I love, which I love. So they say. So I've made up a, a kind of an alter ego, and they. I love when they 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 like that, and they know they're, they're inquisitive, and it's it's good. Because well, yeah. I, I mean, for how I felt, I felt like I've been bloody tricked. You know, I've like sitting there researching. I'm like, man, I'm gonna have to ask him about this Siegfried guy, yeah. and where is he? Is he alive? Surely somebody must be. I had a bunch of stuff written down, and now it's just. Well, no, 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 he, no, he's your, he's, he's every, like I said, everyone has a secret, yeah. but the thing is like, uh, yeah, so, well, every story, like a story, like good story is a good story, the yeah. culture of it, the culture is, the, is there, that's just my imagination, or someone's imagination, but the thing is that, you know, it's still, the backstory still has, has 30 years of a gestation period, you know, yeah. so it has 30 years of history, but the thing is that, and I love that backstory, I love when people know it. I love it. So I'm wondering, and the question I need to ask you is: Should the story just should the story now just be the real story? No. Good. No, really? abs no, absolutely not. The fantasy is far better. Good. And so there's a lot to enjoy there. But I mean, I feel like we've put it out there now. I feel like it, it's done. It's a done deal. No. But it's not. It's not going to be. Not really, because you know some people. Yeah. Podcast. No. <laughs> With our no, six no. audience yeah. members and our fifty regular listeners. No, but it will. No, but it will listen. No, but it will exist. No, it exists. It's like it's like the same thing. It's it, that's irrelevant because it exists. It exists. Did you so, ever like live as Zigfred? Did you ever like every now and then, maybe at the the early beginnings of the bar, you said, "Fuck it, I'm I'm not Paul anymore. I'm just going to roll on as Zigfred." Well, I should have, maybe I should have done that, like changing my name by Deadpool or something. Yeah. But then I'd always be, yeah, then maybe my bank loans would be a problem because they are my name. Well, yeah, but you, <laughs> you could still, you know, talk to people and say, yeah, I'm Siegfried. Because people could be coming to a bar and being like, this is Siegfried von Underbelly. Yeah. It's owned by this guy, Paul, but there's this other guy, Siegfried, who's part of it. And then yeah. you could just turn up somewhere else and people would be like, I met Siegfried. Yeah. You know? And they'd be like, what? That's impossible. Nobody knows who that guy could possibly be. <laughs> No, I love it. No, I like the fact that you love it. That's I'm still blown away by that bit. That it's good. I, I, you know, because I began to think. Well, I was creating a dream world. Yeah. And you know, eventually, maybe the real story is is good enough to be a dream, if you know what I mean, or a, or a, the history is good enough to read as if it was a dream or something. Well, yeah. I mean, you go from Ireland to three African yeah. countries yeah. to squatting in London yeah. to having at least it's. It's a real 
it's a mental story. It's a real rags to riches coming up and I guess with Siegfried by your side, it makes it just a little bit more believable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's well, maybe of, that's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Because it's just one yeah. person telling this yeah. story, but the minute you've got somebody else who was involved in it, they're sort of like, well, yeah, this can't be bullshit. I like that. Because Siegfried was there. Yeah. Zig- but nobody knows. No, because Ziggy was going. there. Because Ziggy was there, yeah. And also, I love the fact that people abbreviated it to Ziggy as well. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, Ziggy Stardust yeah. was had the same effect on English culture. Yeah. So I, you know, I didn't want to, you know, I love that. I love that. So I love the fact I didn't, I didn't think that through that people would abbreviate it to Ziggy. But my God, when that happened, I was like, yes. But yeah, yeah, because it becomes a lot more personal. You yeah, know, it becomes yeah. like you know, it's like a nickname. It's endearing, yeah. isn't it? Instead, yeah. But I'm not gonna lie, Ziggy, was it von Underbelly? Siegfried von Underbelly. Siegfried von Underbelly is a yeah. long name. It's a long name. I don't so think do you want to know how the name came back? Yeah, so, go okay, on. So, so, so Siegfried. So basically, I wrote a lot of names down, and then I had this kind of little pad by my bed and then I was writing names down for what the vision could be and then the last name was Zig, Zig actually the way you pronounce it Zigfred Zigfred but I changed it to Zigfrid you're right F-R-I-D okay so but the, what I wrote down was Zigfred and then so I only had enough money initially to build the bar on the ground floor and then the bar on the ground floor kicked off and it was amazing it took a while then it kicked off and it was like one of the it was like a really eclectic interesting maximalist kind of Irish, English, American sort of manga, you know, mashup. And then that started working out. So then I said, look, I'm going to do the basement. Yeah. And then I was going to call the basement. I just kept on going down. <laughs> okay. But then someone was like, I just kept on going down. Like, that sounds really like, you know, you know, like sort of, what's that band? Um, uh, Aerosmith or something. And then, then I thought... Sounds like Aerosmith. Yeah, there's a, I think the Aerosmith have a song called Going Down in an Elevator. Oh, well, I was going to say like Morrissey. Going Down in an Elevator. Well, that's good. Morrissey's even better. Yeah, for sure. Oh, no, I, li- I much prefer that, yeah. But so anyway, some, there was something with, to do with Aerosmith. That's some song. Anyway, um, then I was talking to my brother. And he's now... He was in the airline industry like my dad. And I was like, Simon, Simon what are you doing? What are you doing? He was like, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm under the underbelly of an airplane. And I'm right. going, fuck. Wicked. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to call it Underbelly. Right. And then I loved, at the time, I loved Dita Von Tees. You know, yeah. Dita. So I said, oh, fuck, Von. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's actually how the sculpture of it happened. That's such, that's such an odd thing, because a lot of people may hear this, like, you know, and be like, Siegfried Von Underbelly, that's a genius name. It's yeah. a genius, long name, but it all comes from a phone call, yeah. favorite person, and Siegfried. Why that's... Siegfried? Where the fuck did Siegfried well, no, that, come that, that from? That bit I made up. Now that that's that good, bit you made up. Eddie, you that's, didn't a, see that, that that's a great comic book that's the, book no, 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 no. That's the bit. That was the bit I actually made it. That was the that was the zeitgeist for the whole thing being easier to solve with the second two bits. Right. Because the Siegfried was the most unusual bit. So anything after that would have sounded you good. You think so? Well, <laughs> I don't yeah. think so. Siegfried is Siegfried. I think is far more common than von Underbelly. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good too. Yeah, Siegfried. You know, I never heard it. Siegfried. It was like because I wanted it to be some sort of like Russian, Polish nobility. You know. Right. So that's what I can. Yeah, like, that's what I read. Yeah. The, descri- the the story of the 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 bar. Yeah. It said Siegfried von Underbelly was born to a blue blood Russian. Yeah. Polish. Yeah. I mean, you've come up with a whole backstory for this person. Yeah. But I met. Yeah. But don't forget, they exist. Everyone has. You know, you've met them too. You've met someone like them. You can know? you tell me more about the history of Siegfried then? I mean, what were his parents like? I mean, when did he decide to come to London? Um, I think he came. Well, I mean, he came. He was in the. He was in the. Came in the punk days. Yeah, but then he went to Berlin. Like he, he was very much into London. But I think then he he spent some time in Dublin. Yeah, but then 
And then there was a kind of a post-punk new wave scene in Dublin. But Phil Linnett, because I knew Phil Linnett oh, quite... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I knew Phil Linnett quite well, a little bit well. So I used to sort of hang yeah. out with Phil Linnett. So he had to be part of it. I mean, he was an amazing cat. I mean, what, you were hanging around with Phil Linnett? Yes. What was Phil Linnett like? He was incredible. In the Bailey in Dublin. Yeah, he was amazing. Because when the 80s came along, because he was a big 70s star. Right. And then the 80s came along. And it was interesting just seeing him become a kind of a... 80 doing doing the eight like Phil Linnett does the eighties. It was weird. What did you get up to with him? You just go out and drinking. No, yeah, I just no. I only ever just hung out with them in the Bailey because there was a certain bar that everyone used to go to, and Dublin's quite small, and everyone knocks about, and the, the Irish are very open and uh, you know down to earth, even yeah. if you're Phil Linnett. Right. So we'd just be hanging out. And I any was other in, notable faces there? Um, obviously there'd be you know you two would be around. Yeah. And then as as the whole scene got bigger, other more and more people came to Ireland. Then you know. How was how was Bono like in his in his festive years? He was great. He was just like, uh, yeah, he was just a guy with a big, you know, a dream. Just very kind of normal, really. Like, just he didn't even know their own future either. He gets a lot of stick now. Oh yeah. Why do you think that is? It's just you have to when you're at the top. He's you can't get at him now. Yeah. So, you can't get at him. He's not even like a politician because they 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 fall from grace a lot very yeah. fast. Yeah. So you and when you can't get at someone, oh, people don't like. It. Was he always sort of? He had sort of a philanthropic nature. He always yes. Sort of give something uh, to the world. A lot of people don't. That's a very good question. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. So basically, you know, and people slag it as if it was a late thing. No, no, yeah. it was always there. Like I mean, for example, you know, like and that that I have to be say is, you know, that I always defend that the fact that to like it or hate it. 19 the same, 21 the same, 24 the same, 26 the same. So that's, now it's just got, like, it's the same with knobs on, you know? Right. So I, I like, I admire that. Because South Park did a big, old, big, big episode basically literally based around him where the punchline was that he was the biggest piece of shit. Oh, I didn't see that. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah, they did a whole episode and, and, you know, one of the main characters, Randy, yeah. is trying to beat the record yeah. for the biggest shit. Oh. And then it turns out the living, breathing Bono is the biggest piece of shit. You know, fucking, do you feel like that's unfair commentary now? No, I think that sounds like great fun. <laughs> but no, but it's not. I mean, yeah, because you're, you're, the fact that you're even in the cartoon is a massive thing. Like, I mean, yeah, it that, is, that's it just, is a big that's deal. just testimony to how big. Would it have been better to place maybe like somebody like um, uh, Chris Martin of Coldplay? Oh well, definitely for me. For me, Jesus, yeah. Like, do you think that somebody might be out there though, listening to this? Well, probably not. But like, know it, you know, somebody who knows Chris Martin, going, yeah, he's been like that since day one as well. He was always. Uh, no, a... I'd say he's faked it all along. Yeah. Well, for, yeah, there's re- yeah, that's not rock and roll. What do you think of the progress of Coldplay? <laughs> <laughs> Let's I enjoyed. Uh, I enjoyed uh, uh, Russia Blood to the Head and Parachutes and X and Y. Really? Oh, I did. Yeah, I really did. Yeah. After that, it was bollocks yeah. for me. And at the moment, they seem to just be doing what music that you would put in the Super Bowl. You yeah, know totally, what I mean? totally, and, totally. No, but that's like that is like how to make good music that people want to listen to. That's that's when it all goes tits up. Where's you know? music at the moment for you? Ah. Where is it? I mean, do you listen to any charts? Is there any guilty pleasures? I like to listen to Usher every now and then. Right. I right. he's got some shit hot albums and some wicked B sides. Well, yeah, no, I think it's gone weird, hasn't it? Music like you just have to you just have to get back to live music. Yeah. Like, I I mean, it's massive for the big big guys and everything. I mean, live music is massive. Yeah. But it's uh, it's music has got a bit weird. It's not live the, music though, yeah. is it? Really, there's often a lot of computers yeah uh, yeah well that, that's that's okay too as long as the show is put together in a great way like Kraftwerk did that in the 70s you know right and look what they did with with their loops and everything yeah, yeah. they reinvented everything but like I you know it, it'll come and go I mean England 
England's been incredible. I mean, you know, the, the live music in England is... I mean, in the, in the 70s, there was no real American bands at all. And, the, you know, at certain points, it was all English bands. Yeah. And they were all leading the way live music in, you know, in America. And the Americans just took that and did glam rock. Well, yeah. For and, a little while. And then they, yeah, and then they, well, then, then they came back big, I mean, obviously, but like, so live music, yeah, that's why I've always got live, like those two, ba those two venues I have, Underbelly and, and the workshop. Like, I don't make money out of live music. Right. I'll never stop doing it. Do you have constantly new bands yeah. and whatnot coming in? Yeah. Like, Any I mean, notable names? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we've had The Horrors. Yep. We've had Amy Winehouse. She actually owed me a few quid. Oh, yes. Because I used to have to pay for a cat. This is in there, 2004. Right. So, um, uh, well, oh, sorry, 2005 when we, when we opened Underbelly. But um, we've had uh, Little Boots. Yeah. You'd have to ask Omar. Who We've had loads. They're, they're all up on pictures in the Underbelly, actually. We've had loads of people who then went on to do good things. But the whole thing about what I love about live music is when I was in a band, is the, the thing it can give you is you learn... Leadership qualities, organisation and qualities. Like for example, in my case, I was a, I was in a band, and I was like, I'd be the one organising the gig. So I don't. I was. I realised I had organising organisational capabilities. So I'd be. So that I'd just be telling people what to do, and then you learn that you have that. So, to me, it was like an, when I look back, it was an incredible time. You know, yeah. you're you're a young kid, you're organising it, borrowing cars, putting gear in cars getting to gigs where's the fucking drummer yeah blah 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 and like, you, you learn and that's like so important so that i realized for me that was incredible so I, I knew i could run a company based on being in a band right for example and uh just run people organize you know like it's almost like doing rotors for bars or something and it's like um yeah it was so when i see young kids doing it you know even if 0.1 percent are going to make it it's irrelevant what the others are going to learn will be could be mean a lot to them anyway. And how do you go about sort of sourcing your acts? Do they come to you? They come to us. Yeah. But we have uh, Omar, my right hand man. He, he's he. We're involved together. Like he used to be a drummer. So we have a lot of. We we both used to be in bands. So we're like kind of. Well, he's more of a musician than me, but I still had a little bit of a time in a band. Yeah. So I was able to. So we're able to really know what, what what's what. Yeah. Because you know, even if you're older, you can still you can still sense the kind of people you want to have oh yeah for sure yeah and how i mean what's it like trying to keep those type of people around you though do you have to, and yeah it's I mean, hard it's hard because yeah. you have to well because you want people to grow with you and if you do well they should do well yeah for sure and um and that's that's Lots a mutual back scratching uh totally i have yeah. to i i really want to do I, that's the way it should be yeah otherwise you know otherwise yeah otherwise everyone's just going to want to work for bigger companies yeah for sure and then that goes back to what you said earlier everything gets homogenized yeah if if rebels aren't looking after rebels yeah we're going to end up with one but, big yeah, the whole rebels. world will just be run by apple yeah yeah, yeah. or something or yeah. some big firm something trendy yeah and everyone will just want to be a what do they call them the genius behind the desk in Apple. Oh, the geniuses. That's the geniuses. What, that's what they call them. They're well, fucking in fact, not. They're do you know what? You know what they're not. Do you know all they. Yeah. No, all they actually. They are. Yeah. All they actually do is give out new iPhones. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. They yeah. just have, They just go. Oh, we can upgrade you. <laughs> ah, we can upgrade you. There's yeah. a problem that we. Yeah, I'm a genius. I'm a genius. <laughs> I got it covered. No, I was fooled by them. Oh yeah. Yeah. At when? <laughs> and none of them are Siegfried. None of them are Siegfried von Underbelly. They're just all. No, no. I just. No, I just thought they were geniuses. How did you get fooled by them? No, you just go in. They, they, they. One guy seemed incredibly clever, and then he just went. When I came back, they said, "Here's your new iPhone." Wow. I thought he was going to fix it. Yeah. And what, he told they, me what was wrong with it, and then they just gave me a new one. Did it come at extra cost? No. 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 It's kind Always of... buy your iPhone from Apple. Yeah. 
because if you get one through your your provider, when it breaks, you have to fix it. Right. So, and then, but if you go through Apple, they just if replace. you buy it through Apple and then just have your SIM from your oh, from Is it your provider. Cost more? That... No, because nah. they write it down anyway. No. So you're basically getting a mortgage on your phone. That sounds awful. Like a yeah. mortgage, because a mortgage is going to tie you down for the rest of your life. <laughs> no, no, two years. Oh, you're, right. You're getting yeah, a two year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll say you're you're gonna, the mortgage, mortgage will screw you. <laughs> no, I, I, you can't say that because a lot of people can't do that. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of people, I think I'm even going to take my next phone, even though I have that knowledge. I'm still thinking I'm going to write it down. How do you feel about technology? Love it. Yeah? I've, it's amazing. Do you think, so I think that's a thing of like, I hate to say your generation, yeah. that technology is amazing. Like we just get technology and we're like, eh. It's slow. Good point. Good it, point. It doesn't. It doesn't work as well as the previous OS That's or the amazing. layouts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. It just annoys us. All these small little things. But I guess for you lot, you're like, fuck me. I can hold this thing in my hand. I can broadcast live as we did earlier yeah. via Dan or a pint yeah. glass, whatever we use as a camera yeah. thing, and we can put it out for the whole world and I guess as you were growing up yeah. that was the whole point if you were in a band yeah. that's all you wanted to do right? yeah. we could get to the whole that's world that's all we right wanted now. to do yeah. and so now they it's had to saturated work like, isn't it yeah. so, everybody's um, on it yeah and that's the thing so now a band can like you know you can have you can be in every look at look at what's his name um, Justin Bieber right that guy like, I, I watched a, a program about him on Netflix he literally just played you know did all all this music in his bedroom yeah. And everyone knew about it in no time. Yeah. It's like the Arctic Monkeys via MySpace, Lily Allen. Do they? MySpace, yeah. They got picked up through MySpace. I think there was a, I think there was a few more. Does anybody from the audience want to shout out any names that they know? Yeah. From MySpace? <laughs> Hadouken? I've got some. But they all fucking sucked in the end. Apart from Arctic Monkeys, they actually went on to be... Oh, they're brilliant. Pretty, you, ever, you ever met any of them? No. Nah? But I love them. You should try and get them on in your bar. Uh, well, yeah. Well, they're too big for that. But no, I think the... Do you think so? Too big for the underbelly? Well, no, they're too big. I don't know. Maybe they do nah. a secret, yeah, secret gig. That's a good idea. They'll listen to this podcast. They'll be like, this was a genius idea. <laughs> Fucking no, but they're me. brilliant. They're brilliant. You don't even mention them in the same conversation as Coldplay. <laughs> okay. Because they are brilliant. I feel like I shouldn't now. No, I kind of no, want no, They to. are a brilliant British band. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They're good export. Yeah. I mean, is anybody, any other bands rocking it for you? Um, Doing it for you? Uh, at the moment... <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not really. no, you can't be there. I'll have to think about that one. Yeah, no. Oh, we'll come back. Yeah, we'll do we'll another. Come, we'll yeah. do another podcast, yeah. and yeah. we'll yeah. bring it back in. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. Well, I'm gonna wrap this up here then. Yeah. Um. So check out the Public House magazine at readpublichouse.uk. You can listen to us on iTunes by searching Public House Podcast, Twitter at Read Public House, Insta at Read Public House, me uh, on Instagrams at Tired Pleb. And have you got anything, Paul? No, I'm cool. You can you can just find no, me. You're you can cool. find me well, on Siegfried. <laughs> Zigfried, yeah. Look for Zigfried and Paul will find you. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Alright, thank you very much, thank Paul. You, Cheers very nice much. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. That was fun. Yeah. That was a lot of fun.